Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. I'm going to read um, a little <clears throat> stanza from the uh, Upanishad instead of the story this morning. <clears throat> the self is immortal, the fearless, the self is Brahman. This Brahman is eternal truth. The self within the heart is like a boundary which divides the world from that. Day and night cross not that boundary nor old age, nor death, neither grief, nor pleasure, neither good nor evil deeds, for that is free from all impurities. By impurity it can never be touched. Wherefore, he who has crossed that boundary and has realized the self. If he is blind, he ceases to be blind. If he is wounded, he ceases to be wounded. If he is afflicted, he ceases to be afflicted. When that boundary is crossed, night becomes day, for the world of Brahman is light itself. Stillness is a pradakshina, the movement around that for worship. Hmm? Now we do uh, our practice of meditation, huh? And the meditation is silence. Silence is basic for the religious experience. So now what is this silence? What is silence? Hmm? Now you may try to cultivate it, but as long as you're doing that, it remains very superficial and false. You can practice it, but that too is superficial and false. It's still not that silence, real silence. Silence can come about in one through understanding. Mm -hmm. One understands 
through an inner awareness of what is happening, of oneself. One begins to understand oneself. Now, ordinarily, we're filled with sounds. Outside and inside, it's a sound world, huh? a world of sounds. You know, and so we like, some people do, they like to go to a forest, you know, and they go into the forest, and then we say, oh, how silent it is. Hmm? Yeah. And yet if you listen in the forest, there is not silence. There are new sounds, natural sounds, sounds we're not ordinarily accustomed to, but it is also a very noisy place compared to silence. Hmm? You know, there was a musician once, uh, and he said that uh, silence in this world is impossible. Silence is impossible. And he, being a musician, he said you can have uh, sounds that are musical sounds. You have musical sounds and you have non-musical sounds. And that is, you have sounds that you like and sounds that you don't like. When you don't like the sound, you say that's noise. And when you like the sound, you say that's music. Hmm? but you have not got silence. Hmm? Anyway, this musician, he went once with an engineer uh, to a hall at Harvard. He was going to give some kind of a concert there. And uh, so he, with the engineer who had had it built, who was in charge of the building of it, you know, uh, went to inspect it. And this hall was built, you know, for scientific purposes, you know. It was absolutely soundproof and absolutely echo-proof. So this man and this engineer, they went into this hall, and now he's got an ear and all that's trained. Hmm? So he goes into this room, this hall, and he hears two sounds, you know. One was a very high-pitched sound, and one was a very low-pitched sound. So he said to this engineer, but you said this room was soundproof. You say it's echo-proof, but I hear sounds, two sounds, one high and one low. And the engineer laughed at him and he says, sure, the high sound is your nervous system and the low sound is the sound of your blood circulating. Have you ever heard your blood circulating? It's quite possible, you know. And you can hear your nervous system, absolutely. You know, people hear their nervous system and it's a high-pitched sound and they say, oh, there's the frequencies. The well, frequencies of what? Huh? You know, see. Anyway, on that day, that musician said that he became absolutely certain unless he died, he would never know what silence was. To know silence in this world was impossible. Well, you believe that? The nervous system, your nervous system, huh, is part of this outer shell, shall we say, or this our outer, our, our outer life. <laughs> hmm? Yeah. The blood circulating is part of our outer life. Yeah? But behind that, within that, 
there is truth, what we call truth, huh? Not many truths, but this one self-truth. Yeah, and that's silent. So sound, we could say, is outer, and silence is within. If you move out, which we do automatically, we do from the moment we're born, we move out that way because we have got eyes. You know, our eyes follow the light, which is what we've got, why we've got eyes in the first place. You know, the, the sun is shining, and so we, there is a development of eyes. Nature devised this hmm? because there is light. So we follow light. So we see. Hmm? But when we move out, we move to sound. Yeah. If you move in, then you move to silence. So in order to understand meditation, you must reach a place where no sound is, huh? Where the, the Zenas say, the place of the soundless sound. The Hindus call it anahatanada, the uncreated sound of silence. Yeah. Stillness, silence is the movement around that, that nameless Brahman, huh? that truth. So we have the sound without and the soundlessness within. And now, you know, look at yourself a little bit. Hmm? And in focusing on yourself, I hope you do focus on yourself once in a while. Hmm? Yeah. Look at your mind. The mind, the mind, is silent. Doesn't say a word. But it has all this activity, all this noise, hmm? all this thinking in the mind. So you observe it, and the more you become aware of its mechanism and how it works, how this mind works, the more you see it working, the more disidentified you can become with it. If you just go along with it, along with it, along with it, you're never going to see it. But you observe it so that you can move back from the identification with it. The less identification you have with all this activity, the more able you are able to see this boundary. Hmm? And when you see the boundary, then you know you can leap that gap. Hmm? So on one hand, we have disidentification and identification. And there is a gap between, there is an interval between. You know, if you really watch your thinking, you say, I am here and my thoughts are here also, but there's a gap in between. Yeah? When you're angry, let's, for instance, <clears throat> well, examples we've got plenty of. 
Nobody here. When you are angry, yeah, what happens? You're identified with the anger, and you do not see it as an energy or as a something, you know, the content of the psyche. No. The identification with it is so immediate that anger just floods the premises. You're just flooded with it. Hmm? It's like you have become one with it, and you just have moved away from the center of yourself and allowed this anger just to take over. Now, many thoughts, you know, flow in the mind. Many, 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 innumerable, huh? It's a continual, a continuous thought process. It goes on and on and on. It goes on when you're asleep, you know. Or do you know? You're thinking about one thing here, and behind this one thing are all these thoughts still flowing. Hmm? Innumerable thoughts, huh? And you choose one here, and you become identified with it, and so you can ignore all the rest. You know, if you just would grab yourself when you sit, then you could ignore your whole thinking the same way, and you would be in meditation instead of struggling around with all those. Hmm? So, but you choose a thought, you know, you like this one or you don't like this one or whatever it is, but you reach out there and you grab it and you say, oh, this is mine. It's mine. It, it, so the thoughts become yours. You're identified with them. But in all of that, you know, where are you? We have a house, we become the house. Yeah? Possessions are not only possessions, they're identifications. Hmm? When the car is damaged, something inside of you is damaged also. Yeah? Wife has an accident with the car, she comes home, does he say, how are you? No, how about the car? <laughs> huh? Or the other way around, you know, if. The husband is home and, and breaks something in the house, and the woman comes home and <laughs> see her identifications, her possessions, in the same way. See, we have identifications with possessions, with thoughts, with emotions, with everything except ourselves. We shove it all out there, and so we've got a lot of noise and we've got anguish, and we've got conflict, and we have tension, but we have not got ourselves. Hmm. Now this musician, you know, he heard his nervous system working, and he heard the blood circulating. Well, let us just say, for instance, that uh, he just heard the nervous system. He heard only the high sound, the high-pitched tone, you know. Do you realize that there were two things present 
There is the sound, for one thing, and there is that which is aware. There is the knowing, there is the consciousness. Before the identification starts, there are two, and then it moves into this one identification. But if he had suddenly become aware of the awareness, you know, aware of the consciousness, You know, like we say, come ye out from among them, if he had... Hmm? Before the identification with the sound, then the sound in that instant would not have been. The moment that the focus of consciousness is transferred from the sound to the soundless, to the center, huh? then you are in silence because you are silence. Everything all around you is sound, and you are silent. How else would you hear any noise? So silence now, this stillness, is the pranakshina, the movement around that. There are temples uh, where people go to worship and they have an altar and the people in their worshiping move around the altar. Hmm? This is a ritual. Now, ritual is symbolic. <clears throat> in temples and churches, one usually finds a symbolic altar, an altar of some kind symbolizing this inner silence, this inner truth, this Brahman, that. Yeah? The altar represents the center, and the ritual goes on around it. Now, what if that altar in the temple is not something outside that let us say now that you are the temple and there is an altar within you which is at the inner core of you hmm? so what about the ritual now <clears throat> you can watch yourself many time but particularly now when you sit down for meditation, when you're practicing meditation, you watch yourself. You're going around and around and around, trying to penetrate through something to something. This is your ritual. Hmm? The movement around the movement of trying to focus and to penetrate with that focus. You see yourself doing that? Yeah. So, do you understand meditation?
our little monks, about whom we talk so much, you know. He went to court and applied for a divorce. And the whole village gathered at the court to, you know, to see this procedure. Because after all, by now, the monk had aged. He was 87. His wife was 78. Hmm? And everybody, including the judge, was very surprised. He wanted a divorce. So this judge asked the monk, what is your age? And he says, my age? My age is 87. It's only 87. <coughs> hmm? And then the judge asked, well, how old is your wife? Oh, she's only 78. Yeah. And how long have you been married? 65 years. It's only 65 years, you know. And the judge said, you know, I'm really surprised. You have lived together for 65 years. What's the reason now for wanting a divorce? And our monk said, honorable sir, enough is enough. <laughs> huh? Have you ever thought about saying that to your mind? <laughs> enough is enough, huh? With all our thinking, see? We have lived with our thinking for so long, but still, evidently, we haven't reached a place or point where we can say, enough is enough. I've had it already, yeah? We don't yet seem to be aware that our misery is because of our identifications with what goes on here in this mind. You know? Sometimes we get bored and sometimes we're frustrated and we're fed up, but not with the mind. No, 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 no. We, we know what we do. <clears throat> Some part of the mind is moving around and around and it's making a lot of noise, non-musical noise, huh? They kind, you know, huh? So what do we do? We change our minds. Yeah? But the change is not for no mind. It's not for silence. It's just for a different content, for a different noise. Hmm? You can see yourself doing that, can't you? Hmm? Hmm. Anyway, that's, you know, our monk. You know, his divorce was granted. And now he's thinking, oh, now I'm a free man. I'm free from my wife, I am free at last, and now I can sleep easy at night. And that night he couldn't sleep at all. No, he was so excited, you know. Not that the divorce was the source of the excitement. No, 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 no. You know, the moment the divorce was granted, he began to think of remarrying again. That's how we change our minds, you see. Yeah. This is how we go. He's fed up with a wife, but not fed up with being a husband. Hmm? We're not fed up with the mind that identifies. If we were, we'd do something about it. We just go out and look for new identifications. And we never bother ever to sit there and think and source, ask ourselves, what is this that's being, that gets identified? We jump over that point real nice. We're good hurdlers, but over the candlesticks we go. <laughs> Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jump over the candlestick. Huh? That's how we do it. Anyway, within a week, 
there was a rumor flying around the village that our monk was going to get married again. See? And he was going to marry a girl of 17. And this, this really bothered the people in the village. After all, he had a son. His eldest son was 55. <laughs> yeah, he had grandchildren, and the grandchildren had children. So his eldest son <clears throat> took it upon himself to approach him, and he said, Father, it doesn't look good for me to advise you, but on the other hand, to marry a 17-year-old girl when you're 87? The whole village is opposed to this. Huh? It's not good for health. It may even prove fatal. <laughs> and the monk said, well, don't be so bothered about it. If the girl dies, I'll get married. See, nothing really changes. In all the change, Nothing really changes. The noise is a little bit different. The noise on the periphery. Hmm? And we don't even try to understand it. We just go hop, skipping, and jumping around with it. You know, anger may be present, but don't be angry with the anger, which is what we so often do. Try to understand it. Why does it come? Hmm? What is the origin of it? What is the source of my anger? If you fight it, you've got double anger, haven't you? You've got anger plus the angriness about the anger. Hmm? That's an absurdity, isn't it? That's like putting a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat, or trying to have the teeth bite themselves. No, try it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like one is trying to fight with one's right hand against one's left hand, and sometimes the right hand wins and sometimes the left hand wins. You know, you play the game. You play a game. But whereabouts are you at in all of that game playing? <clears throat> and, you know, I heard a story once about Suzuki, D.T. Suzuki, you know, he's the one that wrote all the books that so-called introduced Zen to the Western world. <clears throat> and he was staying with a family, and uh, they had invited a lot of guests to come and meet him. After all, he was quite famous. And throughout the whole evening, they discussed a great many philosophical problems. Suzuki, after all, is a, was a scholar. Suzuki was a scholar. One thinks of him as a scholar, not a monk. Hmm? Anyway, these discussions went along for hours with no conclusions about anything. You know, because as soon as somebody said, well, this is what I think, somebody else would disagree and they would go off on a tangent again. So there were no conclusions reached throughout the whole evening. And after all the guests had gone, the host said to Suzuki, long discussion, and we enjoyed it. But there were no conclusions, and that's frustrating. Huh? And Suzuki laughed, you know, and he says, this is why I like philosophy. You can go on and on and on, and there's no victory and there's no defeat. Huh? 
It's a very refined game, the activity of our mind. Yeah. However, now, there are those who don't want to continue with this just uh, activity of the mind, and they would like to transcend. If you want to transcend, fighting the mind is not the way. Awareness is the way. To be aware. Just awareness. Sometimes you call it consciousness. We could call it noesis, to know. And then one is, becomes aware of our methods. Become aware of your methods of operating, the modus operandi. Huh? But the essential of anything, of all of you, the essential, whatever you do, do it with awareness. If you are angry, then be angry with awareness. Don't be engulfed by it. Be angry with awareness. Then there's still two with a gap. You understand that? Okay. You know, Gurdjieff, who was, um, <laughs> he used to create, he used to create situations. I don't do this very much, if at all. He would create situations, you know, for his students. You come into the room and he'd be sitting there with a, some other students and he'd start talking to you and the next thing you know he's insulting you. Hmm. And then of course the rest of the group joins in. You know, all the thing is to, you become very angry. You're angry at him and you're angry at everybody sitting in the room that's helping you to be angry and they needle you and they push you, you know. You're insulted. Hmm? And he pushes you, and he pushes you, and he pushes you more and more and more into it until you're so angry you could just explode, you know? And then he would all of a sudden say, in the middle of all of this, he would just catch you and he'd say, now be angry in awareness. Be aware. Huh? That way he would create the gap. Hmm? Don't pull back, you know? Be alert and see what is happening to you. You get angry and you just go right on it, you know, and there you are. You're not alert in it. See? All these clouds of things that come about, you know. Where do they come from? Why do you have to go along with them? And talking about clouds, you know, in clouds up in the sky there's electricity, right? It's always been there. But long time ago, we call it in ages past, we were ignorant, huh? Yeah. Electricity in the clouds created fear. In the olden times, it was written that when God was angry, he sends thunder, he sends lightning, he sends storms. Hmm? And so, you know, today even so 
God is angry and look what's happening inside of me. God is angry with me and therefore I have this storm. People still think that way. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> Today we know that it is not God's anger. Right? You really, do you or are you still there? Is God angry with you? Huh? No. Today we have some knowledge of electricity. Yeah? And knowledge, you know, in its own way, uh, is a power. They always say, you know, knowledge is power. Yeah? Without a knowledge of ourselves, we have not got a handle on ourselves, you know? We have not got a power with ourselves. When you know yourself, there is a power there. Yeah. So you make yourselves like a, a chemistry lab, a, a laboratory. You're the universe, you know. Find out about your energies and what you're letting them dissipate off into. They're not your enemies. No. And then you begin to find out what is your chief, shall we say, drawback. Find it out because it's got your energy in it. You know, if it's greed, if, if this is your main drawback, then be aware of the greed, you know. Don't fight it, but be aware of it. Because realize that everything else that you think of as a drawback to in your, within yourself is just simply a support of this main difficulty. You know, there was once upon a time a teacher who said, I'm always surprised when people come to me and they say that their problem is thus and such. Hmm? And it's never the case. It's only after a period of time that people are a little more acquainted with the teacher that they can become frank about themselves. Well, not all people. Some people are very frank right off the bat. You know, they can just say... Anyway, there was a, this particular teacher, and a man came to him, and this man was in his 50s. And he would come time after time after time to talk about meditation and how to do it and what it is and the postures and, you know, so on and so on. And he would say to this teacher, I am so interested in meditation. It has been my main concern for the past 25 years. This is my only interest meditation, <clears throat> which wasn't the case at all. Huh? No, meditation wasn't his interest. But anyway, he stuck with this teacher, and by and by, he became aware. By and by, it was gradually shown, you know, uh, so that it became apparent to him that he was not primarily interested in meditation. He was interested in a reputation that he might have as a great meditator. There's a lot of difference, isn't there? Reputation was his interest. Ego was his problem. But he would say, well, I am a humble man. Ego just isn't my problem. I'm humble. And what he would say then, there's too many thoughts. That's my problem. Not ego. Look how he's avoiding himself, huh? Yeah, and his identifications. I am a humble man. 
Mm. You know, but we're like, in a way, it's like a man that came to see the monk, and he had had a cold for a very long time, much too long. So he was really quite ill, and he was weak from having this cold so long. And he tried all the medications around, and he had been to see the doctor, and he just didn't know what to do. Nothing was of any use. So late one night, he came to the monk and asked him if he would advise him. And yes, said the monk, you go to the lake at midnight. And the night was cold, it was wintertime, and the lake was freezing. You take a bath, and then you run around the lake. And the man said, but I'm suffering from a cold, you know. If I do as you suggest, I will really become ill. I will get pneumonia. And the monk said, fine, if you get pneumonia, I know how to cure it. <laughs> Common cold? No. Little problems that we know how to deal with, we focus on them. We avoid problems we think we can't solve. Hmm? We try to forget the problems that we can't solve. So all our attention comes, oh yeah, I can take care of this, and I can take care of this, and I can take care of this. This over here, I don't know, and let's do that with it. Huh? But this I can take care of, and this I can take care of, and this I can take care of. Huh? So the primary problem that we don't tackle goes underground. Hmm? And we're no longer aware of it. And we go on fighting all these phony problems. And all these phony problems dissipate our energy. And guess what? We remain the same no matter how many of these we solve. Now, we have a ritual to silence. Hmm? We have this ritual to the soul. We have a ritual to what is called Atman or Brahman, huh? And in this ritual, this moving around in this silence toward the center, you know, you can find the root of the problem. You don't think how to solve it. You just find out what it is. That's first step, huh? Yeah. Just, you know, you can sit there and you can take a very simple inventory. You don't create new problems because of it. Just take an inventory. Once you know what the problem is, you know, you be aware of it. Be aware of how it works. Be aware of how it spreads a net through the whole psyche. How it influences your whole life, your thinking, your feelings. It's really ridiculous what we do. I'm telling you. <laughs> Just be aware. Awareness is the greatest asset you have. It's the greatest assistant for everything in all walks of life. You know, there's a story uh, about a young seeker, young man who was seeking, 
And after a very long and difficult journey, he reached the hut in the mountains of the master of his choice. He had heard about this man, and this is the man he wanted to serve. This is the man he wanted as a, as a teacher, his master. And he's living in a hut in the mountains, and so this man goes to him. And when he got there, it was evening, and the master was out there sweeping the fallen leaves. And the seeker greeted the master, and the master didn't say anything. He was just silent. And so this, this seeker, he, now he continues, you know, he asks a lot of questions, and there was no response. You know. And he tried in every way he could think of to get the attention of this man. And this master just kept right on sweeping the fallen leaves. Hmm? And seeing eventually that there was no possibility of getting the attention of this man, the disciple finally decided what he would do and then what he started in the next morning. He started and he built himself a little hut in the forest not very far away from this master. And he lived there. And he lived there for many, many years. And after a while, the past all dropped away. In order for the past to continue, you have to go on creating it daily. So his past dropped away. You know, in this forest, there was the forest silence. Noisy, but forest silence, huh? Compared to this kind of thing. There, after all, there was only, only other person around him was this master who was like a no man because there was no communication verbally. Hmm? He wouldn't, that master wouldn't even reply to a greeting. So after a while, this past dissolved, and the thoughts began to slow down. Because after all, you also have to feed these in order for them to continue. If you don't feed them, they're not going to continue forever. You know, or do you not? Anyway, with nothing to do, he would just relax. And he would sit there silently, or he would sweep the fallen leaves. And one day he was sweeping the fallen leaves, and all of a sudden, he knew. He knew. He transcended all the sounds. So he stopped everything, and he ran to the master's hut, and the master was sweeping the fallen leaves. And the disciple stood there and, thank you, sir. That's all he said. Thank you, sir. And I think that's beautiful. Thank you, sir. No big explanations about I saw this, that, or the other thing, you know, uh, which I suppose came later when he was trying to tell the teacher what had happened to him. But, you know, these two greetings. Thank you, sir. You know, then a thought also occurs to me. There are seem to be quite a number of stories about monks and teachers sweeping fallen leaves <laughs> and, 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 you know, and becoming enlightened thereby that I, it surprises me that all of you are not out there sweeping leaves. <laughs> huh? You know, 
So we meet someone that's greedy. Hmm? This is a peripheral matter. Hmm? Let him be greedy. What is it to you? Someone's asking a lot of questions. This too is it. It's a peripheral matter. Hmm? Answer isn't going to make him any smarter unless he has an insight to go along with the answer. Huh? But this particular master, he showed something, see? And the disciple listened. And for years together, the disciple tried to remain within. See? He moved around the center, moving around the center, not being bothered by the periphery. Hmm? And the years passed, and he was awakened. And now there was this gratefulness. And, <laughs> and just by following a hidden answer, it happened. Because the teacher really, in his way, did answer him when he tried to talk to him. Huh? See, it depends on you and your outlook and your attitude. Somebody else would have felt humiliated, you know, insulted and would have missed the whole thing and gone away saying, well, that's no real teacher. He won't even talk to you. Yeah. But this one, he could feel the real meaning. See? And he tried to live the meaning. And it happened. The two times he saw his master only. Huh? Once to greet him and once to thank him. And the rest of the time, he was trying to move in this silence, moving around and around, to that core within himself. And when that silence comes, you're grateful to everything in this universe. Because hmm? when that silence is, the old world disappears. The old is not. The new born. The new is you. You know, and St. Paul knew this, you know, he says, I die daily. Pretty neat, huh? Satori every day. <clears throat> I die daily. Huh? Every day, every day, every day, every day. For the new to grow and to mature. So this prashina, this silence, huh? <clears throat> you can do this on this ritual, this pradakshina. You can do this only through entering the temple, which is yourself. Hmm? In this ritual, meditation. You know, every ritual is a secret key. In every ritual, there is a secret key. But the ritual itself is childish if you don't know what the key is, you know. You can play with it, and you can do it over and over and over and over, but you do not come to realize the meaning. I don't mean word meaning. I mean heart meaning. I mean self meaning. Truth meaning, you know? You know, in a way, it's a secret language.
But through this, you know, something is communicated through this ritual. You know, books can be destroyed, and you know, the meaning of words goes right on changing. You know. But wherever there has been an enlightened one, there are certain rituals. You know? Because the rituals then are being symbolic of, of that which is permanent, you know, is, then becomes a more permanent language. You know, we bow. We bow to the place where we sit. We bow to each other. We bow when we come into this room. These are rituals. Hmm? And we do this gosho of teach me. And even one like Tani Roshi, you know, who is enlightened, he continues to do this teach me, this ritual, huh? It's done in a humbleness. It is a ritual. It is the moving around. And we do the chanting. And we sing the little mantra here. It is part of a ritual. The moving around the center. Are you using these things as tools? Are you using them correctly to reach that secret place in you? Hmm? Are you using yourself correctly to reach this silence, the stillness around that? You haven't got anything else to use but yourself. Make it a good tool. Now, may the peace and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.